Joe just became a Christian. He's really excited. He wants to start growing in his faith. Joe knows he should start developing new habits. Things like reading the Bible and prayer. He's just not sure how to get started. Fortunately, Joe gets a copy of the New Start Discipleship Journal from his pastor. It gives him a clear 50-day Bible reading plan that introduces him to the highlights of the Bible and a daily 5-minute video to explain it. With the journal, Joe learns how to make his prayer and Bible time a real conversation with God. He develops a habit of being thankful and connecting with a mentor. He learns how to meditate on the scripture to supercharge his spiritual growth. Be like Joe, or be like Joe's pastor. Visit New Start Discipleship to get started today. NewStartDiscipleship.com. Get started right on your first 50 days with Jesus. So some of you have already been using the New Start Discipleship journal, and uh, I am just really grateful that uh, those are available to us and uh, those of you that have expressed interest. I think I have maybe one or two available and uh, I, I want to uh, encourage you if you would, you say, Pastor, I, I want to be serious about my Christian faith and I want something that will help me in following Jesus and uh, I can get one of those too. Now, I do plan to get more ordered if, if we need them. Uh, so let me know, and uh, I'll be glad to get you what I have. Um, understand uh, the, the, uh, the commitment. No, the act of receiving one is a commitment to use it. Okay? Uh, so uh, please uh, bear that in mind. Um, but we're, we're talking about growing up, and uh, we're talking about following Jesus, growing up and following Jesus. Um, a few weeks ago, we started in talking about uh, really what it means to be a Christian, what happens uh, when you come to Christ and place your faith in Him as your Savior, and uh, then we have talked about the fact that just like little babies are intended to be born into a family that is their environment of care. You know, there's a, there's a mommy and a daddy, and that provides, with them the, the, provides for them the best environment of care for them to grow up, learn how to walk, learn how to talk, how to feed themselves, um, how to, uh, you know, how to live life, and they, they, that's how they learn to become adults. And, and in a similar way, uh, Christians, new Christians, are born into a family. And that family is called what? The church, absolutely. We're born into a family that is called the church, and that is intended to be the environment of care where baby Christians learn how to walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus and how to engage in the world around them like Jesus. And so uh, that's uh, we're moving on from there. It was about, let's see, two weeks ago, was it? that we looked at uh, the beginning part of 1 John chapter 2 and started talking about growing up, and I only got to the first point of my message. Uh, 
So the point is, what we need to remember is that um, our goal as Christians in, in coming to Christ, uh, we don't want to be people that are like, we've, we've, got, our, we've got our ticket to heaven uh, or our passport, and we, when we get saved, we get that stamped or punched, and, and then we sit back and we say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven now. When I die... I'll go to heaven, and then, and a lot of people, it, it doesn't go much beyond that, you know, they, they, uh, they feel like they get their ticket punched, and then they just go on with life, no, no change, uh, no difference in the way they lived before, and friends, that's not what God intends for his children, that's not what God intends for you and I. You see, Jesus calls us to more than just believing in him. He calls us to belonging to his family where we share the family resemblance. He calls us to following himself in discipleship, and that means becoming like him. So the last time when we talked from this scripture, 1 John chapter 2, uh, I didn't get past my first point. We talked about uh, uh, keeping your goal high and not losing hope. And I gave you this quote from this guy, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the German guy. <clears throat> if I had a name like that, I might look like he did. I don't know. Um, but he said this, and it's very true. If I accept you as you are, I will make you worse. However, if I treat you as though you are what you are capable of becoming, I help you to become that. And it has to do with expectations. And whether or not you realize that expectations have a lot to do with outcomes. If you expect, you know, sadly... Sadly, some people have grown up in, in families or environments where they, were, where they were told they were losers. They would never amount to anything. They would never accomplish anything. And, and the more they're told that, they, they believe that. And the more they believe that, that's what their life ends up being. They, they turn into what they were told they would be. Because now I'm not saying it's everything, but, it, but expectation has a lot to do with outcome. So just real, this is a real quick review of what we covered last time. Keep your goal high and don't lose hope. Uh, this is the first two verses of 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Believe it or not, it is a very legitimate goal for every person who places their faith in Christ that we do not sin. It is a legitimate goal. It is a legitimate expectation. And what you expect, you tend to become. So if you read this in the Bible and you say, well, I believe God's word is true, and I, I'm placing my trust in Christ, my faith in him. And First uh, John 2, 1 says that these things are written so that I may not sin. And it is a, a legitimate expectation. And later on in First John, it says that the one who lives in a, a, a lifestyle of habitual sin is of the devil. And people that live in habitual sin don't know God. Then maybe, maybe it's just possible that I don't have to sin. 
Now, you say, Pastor, I, I'm, a, I'm a faulty, frail, flawed human being. Well, join the club. I'm not saying that this is something that you and I can do by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and just determining real hard, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. Um, that's kind of like, don't think about pink elephants, you know. Um, but what you can do is you can make it your goal to follow Jesus and to do to, to walk in the light, to live in obedience to Him. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection. The, the Wesleyan understanding of Scripture where we have talked about perfection and, and written about perfection and preached about perfection is not a, a belief in sinless perfection. That is flawless living. It's not that. But it is the belief, the understanding that our hearts can be made perfect in love toward God and toward our fellow human being. And there will be many things, where, many areas where we continue to fall short because of, of our, our human faulty thinking and, and quite, some, uh, quite honestly because occasionally you may experience uh, uh, overwhelming temptation. And in those moments, you find you fall short. You fail and fall into sin. But the baby that's learning to walk, even the grown-up that's, that's learning to walk or trying to walk and falls down every once in a while. I've fallen down a few times since I've been grown up. But I'll tell you what I have found out is that since I've grown up, I fall down a whole lot less than I did when I was a kid, when I was a baby. And friends, that's the idea of growing in Christian faith and maturity. Set your goal high and don't lose hope. And remember your advocate. If you do fall, remember your advocate. These things I write to you that you sin not, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Second, focus on obedience. Focus on obedience. Notice verses 3 through 6 of 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So as a Christian, as a young Christian, as any kind of a Christian, one of our areas of focus ought to be on obedience to Christ. One thing that John says here is that it is a means of knowing our status, our standing with Christ. In fact, if you have trouble with knowing, am I really a Christian? Am I a true Christian? The book of 1 John is a good book for you to study. Read through and look at all the places in 1 John where it talks about knowing, and it'll help you. Now, understand, again, uh, 
some of you have been around the church a long time and, and you, you lean heavily on the side of we don't believe in a sinning religion. Amen. Well, I believe that. We don't believe in sinning Christianity. We don't believe that, that as Christians we continue a lifestyle of perpetual sin. And, and maybe some of you, I don't know, maybe some of you here fall on the other side where you say, oh, you, you know, sin every day. Um, you just, you know, before you go to bed at night, you ask Jesus to forgive you, and then you go on, and it's okay. So the, we, I want to land more in between those two statements, um, and I hope I don't make anybody upset, but if, if I do, you're welcome to talk to me after uh, the service. I'd appreciate it if you didn't try to confront me uh, before the service is over, but... Um, God is able to help us live in obedience to his commands. Do we sometimes fall? Yes, maybe sometimes we do. But you don't have to. You don't have to. So focus on obedience. It is a means of knowing. And when John here says that uh, whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, he's, he's talking about the overall pattern of our life. And I mentioned this verse earlier, and I, I, I think it's important for us uh, really to understand these truths. Uh, chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Okay, so what we're talking about is, a, is an overall pattern of the way that we live our lives. And for the Christian, the overall pattern is one of turning away from sin and focusing on obedience to Christ and His commands. And that is one of the ways that we know that we are genuine in our faith in Christ. That we have both intended to do that, and then following our intention, we have followed through and we're learning how and progressively becoming more and more obedient to Christ. Um, intention is important. Every single one of us come, must come to that moment of intention. But intention is not all there is. Uh, I, I read this the other day. Um, five frogs were sitting on a log. Four decided to jump off. Now, how many frogs are still on the log? You're sitting there because you think you know it's a trick question, and you're right, it is. There are still five frogs sitting on the log because... There's a difference between deciding to do something and doing something. So we must come to a point of decision and follow through. It is a means of knowing, obedience. Also, when we think about obedience, this is about focusing on ourselves and on what we can control, not on what we cannot control. It's a very common mistake that people make uh, Many times, and I know I understand the temptation, it's often to focus on the things that are outside of our control. 
the action and the behavior of those around me. I remember one lady was talking to me about her husband, and, and bless her heart and bless his heart. She, she said, oh, here he is. He's, he's trying to live for the Lord, but everybody around him keeps making him mad. And he loses his temper, and, and that makes him struggle to live for the Lord. Well, bless their hearts. You can't control what the people around you do. All you can do is to control yourself. You, you, we tend to focus on our, our family and our friends and the struggles that we have because of those that are in our world around us. So we focus on maybe the, the hypocrites in the church, the people that claim something but don't live up to what they have claimed to live. And And certainly all of those things are problems and can cause us problems. But the reality is, friends, the more we focus on what we cannot control, the more we will not be able to control even ourselves. You see, if you think about this and and use this little little diagram, all of us, we have a, a very large circle in our lives of things that we cannot control and a little small circle of things that we can control. And friends, if we focus on what we cannot control, we will find that the things we cannot control, that that just gets more and more and bigger and bigger, and there's more that we cannot control. And the parts that we can control, we we lose more and more control. But if, on the other hand, we say, I'm going to turn my attention away from the people that are around me, I'm going to stop making excuses based on what others do, I'm going to stop making excuses based on what my family does, I'm going to stop making excuses for, uh, for my job or for my boss or for, for my circumstances or whatever. I'm going to stop making excuses and I'm going to focus on myself This is all I can do is focus on me and my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and I'm going to work on me and walking in obedience to God for myself. You will find that that begins to grow. Your life of obedience to Christ begins to grow and enlarge. Moving on. Focus on obedience, then choose love. Choose love. Verses 9 through 11, maybe 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Choose love. Choose love. Friends, we live in a day and age when there are many hindrances to love. And I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not trying to dumb this down or cheapen this by any means, in any sense of the word. You know, the, there are so many 
ideas and there are so many songs and so much that, that comes at us from the entertainment industry about love and, and what the world needs now is, some of you know it, love, sweet love. I'm not trying to cheapen this at all. I'm not talking about some uh, warm, fuzzy feeling and I'm talking about genuine, divine love, sacrificial love, the kind of love that comes because we know Jesus Christ. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We also ought to know 1 John 3.16, by this we know what love is because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. We live in a world that's full of hindrances to love. There's divisiveness all around us. Uh, Just so much division, racial division, political division. Should I or shouldn't I? Yes, I will. You can throw me out later. I'm so weary with the political divisiveness in the world that we live in and especially with how it has crept its way into the church. And you you might be one yourself who would say, Pastor, I don't understand how somebody could identify with a certain political party or a certain ideology and claim to be a Christian. And I have to be honest with you and tell you, I I used to be there myself and say those things out loud and condemn other people for a certain kind of affiliation and, and look down on them. And can I be honest with you and tell you, there are some things that I still don't understand. I don't don't understand. I don't claim to have the answers to that. But what I believe, friends, is that God's kingdom, we are citizens of God's kingdom before we are anything else. We are citizens of God's kingdom before we are, are... Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Independent or whatever. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And people, if we ever get that confused and we ever identify uh, our, our Christianity by our political affiliation, then God forgive us and God help us. Divisiveness. There are hurts. We're so many people live with their hurts and can't let go of their hurts and and so many people live like they're waiting to be hurt you know what i mean they they just they've been hurt so many times and some people aren't some people can't seem to be happy unless they're talking about the latest offense that has happened to them have you ever met anybody like that i don't know maybe i'm just crazy but Our, our very nature is against us, the, the nature that we are born with. There's a place called Slope Point, New Zealand. I don't know how well you can see that picture, uh, but it's a, a cluster of trees, and all the trees are going in one direction. 
And that's because in Slope Point, New Zealand, it's, it's the furthest south uh, bit of land before you get actually down to the South Pole. And the wind that blows up that direction from the South Pole is so consistent and so strong that all the trees grow in one direction. They're not like normal trees that grow up and branch out. They're all growing in one direction. And friends, did you know that you and I... This is how we are born. We're all born growing in one direction, except sadly, it's not away from ourselves, it's into ourselves. A good way of understanding and defining the sinful nature that we are born with is that it is a, we're turned inward. We've all gone our own way, we all want our own way, and our, ner- our very nature is a hindrance to love. And friends, what we need to do as Christians more than anything, as young Christians especially, you need to learn this, is to be deliberate and choose love. Determine to live from a posture of forgiveness. This has been important for me to learn, and I'm still struggling to learn it, but to live from a posture of forgiveness means that you're going to do your best not to be offended in the first place. And if that does rise up in you, whatever that, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or somebody looks at you cross-eyed or, or whatever it is that bothers you and causes you to, huh, well, I can't believe they, of all the nerve, how dare they treat me that way. I'm, and you're laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. Every single one of you, just like me, has had those moments where you, huh, I can't believe, how dare they act that way? How dare they talk to me that way? People, we will be so much better off as Christians, and our hearts will be so much more pliable and soft in God's hands if we can ask God to help us in this area to determine to choose love. Be quick. Rather than being quick to be on your guard and put your defenses up, be willing to let your guard down. Say, Pastor, that's, that's risky. Oh, I know it's risky. That's the way you get hurt. That's the way you open yourselves up to hurt. But friends, that's what it is to love. That is what it is to love. It is to open yourself up to being hurt. It is risky, I know, but friends, in the end, the risk is worth it. And as Christians, we are called to love. And I know sometimes people that are quick to... to go on the defensive and and put our guards up and so quick to see the negative and take offense. I know sometimes this comes from a place of deep woundedness. No doubt I'm talking to somebody here this morning. I'm, I'm almost positive in a crowd this size. There's somebody here who you, you have been wounded deeply in your past. And because of that, it's very difficult for you to let your guard down and to love people and to accept people. And I just want to tell you that that's, it's okay. That's not your fault. But you can get help for that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. Uh, I, I'm, 
Yes, God can help you. God can heal you where you are wounded. But some of you may need professional counseling to help you get over those wounds. And that's not been a popular idea in the church. But can I just go on record this morning and say that sometimes that is needed and sometimes that is appropriate. Somebody please say amen. Thank you. I hope you said that because you agree with me, not just because I told you to say amen. Okay, all right. But people, some of us, you know that that old, uh, the old saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade? That's a great idea, but some people don't want to do that because they would rather keep the lemon. And that's the, that's the one that likes to hold on to their hurts and likes to tell everybody how they've been done wrong and how their feelings have been hurt and how, oh, I, just, I can't believe they tra- treated me that way and, and tell their friends and tell their neighbors and whoever. And they would rather, rather than make something sweet out of that, they would rather... Say, oh, don't you, would you like to taste how sour my lemon is? Oh, it's so awful. It's so sour. They, and they don't want to give up the lemon. Choose love. All right, we've got to move on or we're not going to finish this this morning. Remember who you are and keep growing. Remember who you are and keep growing. Look at verses 12 through 14 of 1 John 2. Who are we? As Christians, this is beautiful. And friends, one of the reasons we have trouble as Christians is because we forget who we are. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. People, this is wonderful, our identity in Christ, who we are. We are people who are forgiven. We are people who know Jesus, the one who is the incarnate word of God, God himself become flesh, God with us. We are people who are strong. We are strong, not in and of ourselves, but, but we are strong because we know Jesus, because Jesus is in us. We are strong because the Word of God lives in you, and we are overcomers. Friends, this is who you are. When you are in Christ, when you are in Christ, you are not continually fighting for victory, but you are fighting from victory. Did you hear the difference? Some of you need to hear that and get a hold of that. In Christ, you are not continually struggling or fighting for victory. You are fighting from a place of victory. Not fighting a fight that you hope to win, but staying in the fight because you have already won in Christ Jesus. Amen. We are overcomers. And, and if you will forgive just a little quick Greek 
grammar lesson, the verb tense of that word that, uh, that means we're overcomers is that it is, a, it is perfect tense. It means it is a once-for-all completed action with ongoing implications and effects. In other words, we have overcome in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, that was the moment that victory was won, and that was the moment our victory was won. Our victory as Christians is secure, and we live not fighting for victory, but fighting from a position of victory. So this is who you are. Well, who can you become? This is who you can become. Did you notice there are a couple of words that he kept repeating in those verses? I'm writing to you, little children. I'm writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, young men. Now, I hope, just in case there's anybody who is really conscious about political correctness, that he's not picking out men and leaving out the ladies. He's, he's talking about, like we would say, all mankind means all humanity. It, in, it includes both of us, okay, ladies? All the ladies, okay, all right? Okay, who you can become. He starts with children, and then he goes on to youths, to young men, and then from there to fathers, that is, people who are mature in their faith. It's no secret that we have an aging congregation. And some of you are closer to your goal than others of us. You've got more behind you than you have ahead of you. And friends, our goals as young Christians, my goal, as I still hopefully kind of mature in my faith, maturing in my faith, but still a young Christian, I want to become an old Christian. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not just physically old, but an old, a mature, sweet Christian. We, are, we have been so blessed with a good number of mature saints. People who, you know, when sometimes, you know, some people when they're bumped, they, they spill out vinegar. But other people, when they get bumped, they, they spill out sweetness. And they bleed God's word. They're just, they're so full of God's word and so full of God's presence. We've been blessed with mature saints. But you all know that you're not going to be here forever. And I know many of you are coming to terms with that reality. Some of us younger ones need to come to grips with that that reality. That the mature saints aren't going to be here forever that the prayers that they are offering, some of us need to stand up. All of us need to stand up and say, I'm going to be, I'm going to become an old, mature, sweet man of God, woman of God. I'm going to be one who will pray. We've got to look around and say, there are people offering up prayers, praying for us, young people. People, you can think about those that prayed for you when you were young and 
someday those older ones are going to slip off the scene gradually and they will no longer be around to offer up their prayers. Who's going to pray for the ones that are coming along? Some of us need to step up to the plate and say, it's going to be me. We need some young believers who will say, I'll be one. I will follow Jesus. I will become a mature, godly saint. I'm going to give myself to following Jesus. I'm going to make this word the foundation of my life. I'm going to become everything that God wants me to be so that the people that are coming behind me can have a path that's safe to follow. We all have, we're all leaders one way or another. Did you know that? We tend to look ahead of us at the leaders that have gone ahead, but people, you have, you all have people that are following you. And what kind of trail, what kind of path are you leaving behind? Remember who you are and keep going, keep growing. Finally, invest in what is eternal. Invest in what is eternal. Verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Just want to make sure you understand that this is talking not about the world with the the world of creation, the world of humanity. Jesus said in John 3.16, we already quoted those, wor- those words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's, that's humanity, that's you and that's me. This passage is talking about this world system that we live in that is defined by corruption. It's really defined by these, by these three values, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And all temptation boils down to one of these three things. This world that we live in is going to try to get you to invest in one of these three areas. It's going to try to get you to invest in things that look good to you. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read about the temptation of Eve in the garden and how she was tempted by the serpent, by the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she saw that it, was, it looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. It looked good to eat. It looked good for food. And desirable to make one wise. The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And friends, all of those things are temporary in nature. They will not last and they will pass away. But these are the very things that this world system will try to get you to invest all of yourself in and your values in. A nicer car, or a nicer house, or something that will give you a, a greater status. More, yeah, somebody said more money. The list can go on. Your, your, your physical health, your physical well-being, your, your body, your looks. I think most of us are old enough now to realize that those aren't going to last. But all of those things are passing away. So friends, we need to invest in that which is eternal, which is the kingdom. 
The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Friends, this is why Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount not to uh, lay up our treasures on the earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves can break in and steal, but rather lay up your treasures in heaven where they are safe, where they are secure. I remember reading a story, I'm going to close with this, a story about, of, a, of a wealthy family who had purchased a new home, and they had decided that uh, they were going to, before they moved into their new home, must, must be nice, uh, they had decided before they moved into their new home, they were going to travel the world. They were going to go and travel on uh, the continent, Europe and other places. And, and so they, they did that. They went and traveled abroad. And as they, as they traveled, they would find bits of, of, of furniture, uh, souvenirs, decor for their, for their new home. And they would invest their, their money in these pieces of furniture they would invest their, their, uh, uh, their savings in these souvenirs, and they would send them ahead. They would ship them. They would ship them to their new home, and they continued to travel. And the more they traveled the world, the more they, they invested, uh, they thought about their new home and how they had invested all of their, uh, their savings. They had invested their money in... in uh, decorating and furnishing their new home until finally the day came that their trip was over and they were going back home. People, this is a picture of the Christian life. We are not in our home. You know, investing in this world, investing in this life is about as smart as going to the Motel 6 for a couple nights and there you decide, well, I don't like that bedspread I'm going to go to the store and buy a new bedspread. Yeah, I don't like the painting on the wall. And maybe you go to the hardware store and buy some paint and, and maybe some new wallpaper and you fix up your room at the Motel 6. Not very smart, is it? Because you're only going to be there for a couple of days. Friends, we're not going to be here for long. Our life in this world is just a, a drop in the bucket compared to eternity, so do not invest in this world. Invest in the world that is, in, that is to come. Invest in the kingdom of God. That will last forever. Let's stand together, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will talk to every heart. We pray that you will give us young Christians who are willing to say, I'm going to be, become an old Christian. I'm going to follow you with all my heart. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to grow in discipleship become what you want us to be. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.